Welcome, everyone, uh, to a new episode of uh, the Female Professoriate, or the Professoriate, as we're calling it now. And we'll talk about this a bit more later. And uh, I today have the absolute pleasure and delight to have with me uh, Professor Maria Arte. And uh, I am looking forward to a fantastic conversation with Maria in this um, podcast that, as you know, where we talk to women, we talk to women academics, we, we talk to um, our experiences and what it has meant, what it means to be a woman in academia and what is our role and the role of other uh, others um, around us and who has inspired us. And hopefully, how can we inspire others? So Professor Maria Arte is a theoretical linguist. Uh, she has expertise in syntax semantics uh, and focuses specifically on tense, aspects, copulas and adjectives in the grammar of English and their cross-linguistic variations and acquisitions. She is um, now Professor of Linguistics in Spanish and she uh, I have the privilege of, to have her as a colleague at the University of Greenwich. Welcome, Maria. Okay, well, thank you very much, Olga. It's a pleasure to have you as a colleague here. <laughs> thank you for inviting me. Wonderful. I've been wanting to um, talk to Maria for a long time um, because it has been such a difficult times in the in the past couple of years. We are super uh, glad to say that we're at the studio. That this is the the first uh, podcast we recorded at the studio. In two years, so and I think it's not only for our uh, podcast, the professoriate, but also in general, I think for other colleagues as well that we finally opened up the studio. So, it's um, it's it's fantastic to be here. So, Maria, I, I would like to first start asking you, um, what is it to be a professor in linguistics, and uh, what are you working on at the moment? Okay, thank you. Let's see. Um, well, uh. I'm working, I'm going to tell you what I'm working on at the moment, and then we can figure out what linguistics is, because this is something that has, uh, that relates to some of my uh, work um, at the moment, which is, uh, which I find it to be a bit of an activist, because I think that it's um, our job as linguists to make linguistics better known, because it's very rare to find someone who has a neat idea about what linguistics <laughs> is about. And this is something that we all linguists share. So, okay, so I'm just arrived from uh, one of the oldest interdisciplinary research institutes in Europe, in the Netherlands. I'm just mm -hmm. arrived from uh, NIAS. Uh, it's an institute of uh, humanities and social sciences that depends on the Dutch Royal Academy of Sciences. Mm-hmm. And I've been leading a group of uh, six other researchers. It's been an international group, interdisciplinary group. Uh, we've been there for five months with a project that has what I've been calling um, a research agenda and a social agenda mm -hmm. about the language development uh, in the school years. Okay. Uh, so... What um, the project, overall project, is about is about understanding better the how language develops when kids are a little bit older than five, because of, before five we humans acquire um, what we call the core of the language. So mm -hmm. every, the basics, the basic skeleton, is there pretty soon between three, four, five. 
almost everything is there. And we have a very pretty good description of what happens from zero to five. We realize that we know a little bit less about what happens later, although it's it's a fact that language keeps developing in, in, ours, in us, right? And that coincides precisely with the school years. That is to say, with the years in which kids start... Uh, their lives in a more demanding environment um, where uh, expressing themselves and understanding is crucial, Mm -hmm. right? Understanding what we are told in the classroom when we are doing maths is critical, uh, I mean, in everything else, right? So language development affects all our areas of of life, not only uh, academic achievement, but also relations. And, of course, um, the ability to express ourselves affects our our relations and the ability of establish good relations and being well in the world affects our mental health. So targeting language development... Is, is is critical for the overall development of the individual. And, um, and then we have identified, we are identifying what we know about those years after five and what we are yet uh, to investigate. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that is the research agenda. And the team is fundamentally formed by, uh, well, as you said, syntacticians and mm-hmm. semanticists. So is uh, we are those people who uh, study and investigate the elements of language that put everything together, right? So it's not the vocabulary, it's, it's the elements that put everything together and make your sentences stand and allow you to understand what you are being told. So in general, syntacticians and semanticists deal with words that people might have not thought that they are important. Um, Give us an example. Well, I my area is tense. So every all the markers in languages that give you information about when things happen. English doesn't have a lot of marks in there, but it could be things like the the, the ED for the past, uh-huh. right? And all the, uh, you know, that is how you establish the, um, how you anchor the situation in time. And things like tense, for example, are areas that can be impaired if you suffer from uh, a language issue, uh-huh. right? Um, so I always give this example of tense and also um, another very good example to link it to school, which I, uh, disc- I've i seen firsthand through my through the homework of my daughter are, are, are words like each. Each or every are very complicated. They are acquired very late and they are key, for example, to understand multiplication and division. Exactly. Yeah, I have a so, seven-year-old, and that's exactly yeah. what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah, so seven is fine, can mm-hmm. be fine, but uh, if um, but kids may be exposed to um, to the concept of multiplication and division, they may be exposed to that earlier on at school, yeah, right? Or, exactly. Yeah. So it's like, for example, put uh, four counters on, find five, five plates, put five, uh, four counters on each plate, Mm-hmm. And that is the concept of division. Then they can understand multiplication. But a key element there is each. And it's very complex. 
as you see. I mean, semantically is very complex and syntactically is also complex because whenever you have each, you need something else to distribute. Doesn't stand alone. Doesn't stand alone. So it that is telling you that you have a complex structure behind and and the interpretation of that is quite complex. So that is a typical element that is acquired w- after you are five, right? Very interesting. And it's, um, yeah, and it's a typical syntactic bit that uh-huh. uh, we work on. So that's what we linguists do, establish how they behave, what are the properties of these elements, and, and what happens across languages, right, with uh, with them. That is fascinating. I, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about this, but um, it's interesting how you know uh, different people from different disciplines. We find that some the things that we study are, you know, important and kind of obvious that they're important, and then uh, and then we are as well in our micro world that needs to be translated and needs to be. Um, um you know transfer this knowledge and this is why i think this this part of your project is super interesting no the yeah. social impact part yeah because it has a research agenda so as i was saying we are at the mo- at the stage of gathering the information of what is known about what part of language in terms of development and what is not known and so to do the map if if you want of that and then it has um, the social part of it which is to raise awareness Um, about how important it is to pay attention to language because um, it's something that is not uh, well known enough, it's not widespread enough and it's key for every individual. So just to give you an example, if we, if I say, if I mention autism, mm-hmm. thankfully and fortunately everybody, almost everybody would know about, would have heard Uh, about that uh, condition. But uh, it seems that it affects a 1%. It affects 1% of the world population. But what we have been calling, linguists have been calling a specific language impairment, or now it's called a developmental language disorder, can affect up to 10% of the population. So it is um, a disability that goes invisible. There are uh, screening tools to mm-hmm. assess them, but they they can be improved. I mean, there's room for improvement uh, to make sure that uh, we don't miss a child. We we are advocating for a screening to be to happen more often because uh, in in Some, I mean, sometimes and across countries, there's a lot of differences and, and screening stops happening once the, the child is five. Together, linked with the idea that I was mentioning earlier on, that, you know, by five, everything is settled and is, is there. But what if it's not? What if your problem is with something else or can manifest itself with something else that you were to acquire later? You have stopped screening, you have stopped... Um, assessing and diagnosing kids, and and language is said to be and 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 people have um, offered a lot of data saying that language seems to be at the root of of other social issues. For example, researchers um, and one very well known researcher on this topic was our former vice uh, deputy vice chancellor Karen Bryan. She found that about 60% of young offenders uh, when diagnosed 
once in an institution, 60% of them uh, tested positive for language disorder. That is so, so that is so fascinating. So, is um, therefore, you know, there's a direct correlation with socioeconomic uh, circumstances, the way or the structures that children have growing up uh, mm-hmm. while they're growing up as well in their families, I guess. Yeah, because if your language is not right, and this is again something that is not easy to notice, right? If your language is not right, because if you have a problem acquiring each, I mean, you need such a finely tuned tools, which is what we will be working on, (laughs) yeah, to identify that. I mean, if you have a problem with that because of whatever, you know, it can be a genetic condition, you know, um, different reasons. Imagine this this situation, let's assume the situation, you cannot acquire things like each, then you will have problems with multiplication and division and many other things probably associated with it. You disengage at school. You mm. um, you may, if you disengage in, cl- in the classroom, you may uh, start misbehaving, right? You misbehave, then you disengage, then the, the, the more extreme cases, then you fall into school dropout or school exclusion, which is even worse. You don't have the support. You haven't been identified. And then is there, is there, is that yeah. snowball? Um, so interesting. It, it's fascinating how, you know, from studying a word like the word yeah, each. each, you can yeah. find out whether certain parts of the population or whether individuals with certain um, uh, specific difficulties may end up uh, in, um, in in the situations that are totally um, different. And mm. so, um, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. So um, we will come back to to your research and your work, but I want to, you know, take you back a little bit to your beginnings and mm-hmm. take you back um, to why you decided to be a linguist and and how was this process and, and who did you, what was the role of, of others in mentoring you through this process? Mm. Yeah, as um, I think I was 16 when I I knew I wanted to to do to be a linguist. I it was it happened in my philosophy class. We were doing a lesson on cognition, and we were studying different um, different ways of learning and different ways of acquiring different hypotheses and theories. And I remember the page of the book, the textbook that we had in Spain. Uh, we had Skinner on the left and Chomsky on the right. And it was the famous the famous controversy about how humans learn how to speak. Is it because we imitate what we hear? Or is it because we have something else that is innate, that is internal to us, that guides us uh, to, 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 to organize the input that we get, right? And I was... I mean, amazed. I was like, oh, my God, how interesting. And then I went to the, the, the teacher and I said, what do I have to do to, to, wow, to do more yeah. of this? And they said, well, actually, I'm not really sure. I think you will need to study something like philology or something because uh-huh. I was the last generation who didn't have in Spain any linguistics degree in the title. So that mm. happened after me. But um when I was starting university, what you needed to choose was philology. Mm-hmm. And it was within philology departments that uh, linguistics was happening. 
So it wasn't a separate um, yeah. avenue, professional yeah, avenue it was my so avenue. Yeah, exactly. So my undergraduate degree was five years and I did three common with literature and then two uh, of linguistics at the end. So the yeah. fourth and fifth year were in linguistics. And then at the, at the, by the end of it, I, I knew I, was, I wanted to do syntax. So it's where, where everything happens, right? It's, it's this system that puts things together in our mm-hmm. mind and, and our brain, right? And mm-hmm. it, it happens there automatically. And, and well, and it's where impairments can be in the syntax as well, right? If, yeah. if you have an issue there. Um, so I went to study at, in, to um, a research institute, actually, that had a very specific program in Madrid. There was a program on theoretical linguistics and language acquisition only. It was very, very focused on that. And it was very special, very unique, because we had all professors, most of the professors were from abroad. So we had uh, our year was um, organized in, in an unusual way because we had imagine one month for this subject because the professor was coming from Cornell University mm-hmm. or from Boston or from MIT or oh. things like that. Yeah. And then uh, we had like an intense month of something, you know, of syntax of passives or morphology or distributed like that. And that opened my my mind to a completely different way of studying completely different way of um, being assessed as well, uh, a completely different world, you know. So it was, um, we became very much, I became very much internationally mind minded mm-hmm. because we had uh, professors coming from all over the place and, and I loved it. So when I was, after my first year, I applied for a scholarship to go to California Wow. To UCLA. (laughs) And that's where I went because I wanted to study with one person. This happens very much in academia. You get fascinated with one person. It's like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. No matter what. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I said, well, maybe they don't. Well, I wasn't that sure. I was like, well, maybe they turn me down. (laughs) Yes, but (laughs) you're going to try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And that's how I ended up studying in UCLA. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the with that professor, with Tim Stowell, mm-hmm. uh, who is, uh, I think he's been in my career, one of the most important people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Academically, Academically, but also as a mentor. Also as a mentor. He is the humblest and, uh, yeah, I mean, the wisest. Mm-hmm. And the Hamlet and the person from whom uh, I worked very, very closely with him, because when I went to the U.S., I had to take I had to be registered. Of mm-hmm. course, I had to take the courses right in linguistics. You need to take courses. You need to be trained if you do formal linguistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need, of course, to be registered. But then there was an option that was direct studies, which was a one to one every every week. Um, on something specific, but it's like a subject, right? It's like a subject. I had all my other subjects and then I was with him. And it was in the classes, of course, in the other classes, but also in the department was amazing. I mean, yeah. But it was working very closely with him when I learned uh, 
a scientific way, the scientific way, the scientific mind to look at things, the capacity of, um, of um, you know, observation, reflection, making hypotheses, try, reflect. And in science, you become, you become very, you have to be very modest because you never know, you, you're never sure you are right. In fact, you're trying to prove that you are not right. <laughs> that you are not right, exactly, because you are f trying to falsify every hypothesis that you make. Mm. And and I learned that from him, and I learned, you know, this this distance that you have to take and and this modesty that I see in the best scientists and in the best colleagues and, you know, linguists, you know. I, I, I always loved uh, when people, you know, you go to the to the best journals and then people have always this disclaimer, thank you to blah, blah, blah for previous, um, yeah. uh, for, the pre for advice on previous versions and all remaining errors are my own. Yes. This, this, uh, Um, display of I take responsibility mm -hmm. and I may be wrong, right? Oh, I may yeah. be wrong. This That's this true. Um, true. acknowledgement yeah. is I really like to, I, I love to work in something mm. where your um, display of, um, doesn't come the word in English to me now, but it's, it's, it's like, it's not modesty, but it's the acknowledgement of your limitations mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is, um, is put out there, even though people are amazing. I mean, yeah. the, 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 the intelligence of the people I've, I've, no, I've met and I've known. And Tim, Tim Stowell was one, I think he's one of the best students of Chomsky's at MIT. He did his dissertation at MIT. He's super, I mean, overall sighted. He's, he's amazing and he's so generous. He's always been so generous. Um Well, yeah. This is this is something that um, also you know I'm curious about because we as academics and you know and specifically you know us that also as well have families and running around a lot and all that you you have to in a way choose who who to support you know who to you would love to support everyone and you would love to have time for everyone and to you know to teach everyone how to how to do science no and this is an interesting word for us because in in spanish we accept that we do science i i do legal science i do whilst in english mm -hmm. i t i tend to not be <laughs> regarded as a scientist but anyway, we can talk about this later but um yeah so i think this um the the humbleness of feeling that someone gives you their time their energy but also the what they've learned And they pass it down. It's very. It it, it is overwhelming sometimes. I'm very, but very empowering mm. some other times. Mm. So when you say that uh, uh, Tim was very generous, he was very generous with you in particular because you give back. You know, with the, we are. You always. It's a double. Uh, it's a double way relationship. The relationship with the, a mentor and a mentee. I think you know, as mm. as a mentor, you always get uh, something from the mentee as well. No? 
That's what he would say because he's so generous. <laughs> That's what now, he said. Now you're actually, being you're, you're being over humble now. <laughs> I'm sure he finds absolute yeah. pleasure in in the, this role as well. So um, that's great. So, so that was my PhD. Yeah. Yeah. And then I mean, just to finish the loop. So that was amazing because then I went back to Spain and then I used to spend a few months in Spain and then I went, you know, and a few months in LA until mm. I finished. Um, when I finished, I it was such an anti climax <laughs> situation. <laughs> it was not good. And then a, a couple of years later, and then we can we can talk if you want about what personal decisions. Yeah, I think uh, where yeah. where behind all these, and you know. And then I went. Uh, then after that period in Spain, um, this is something that I tell students, especially postgraduate students, because I think it's it's something that they 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 they, they well they like hearing. And it's like life is it's not that a straight line, right? Mm-hmm. That is like oh yes, yeah. I'm gonna go here and everything. I'm gonna find my it's way. Well planned. <laughs> I've been exploring a lot and I've had other moments in my life where things were far from clear. So after my dissertation, actually, after graduating and as, you know, as a doctor and feeling, oh, my God, and, you know, it's yes and it's done. Then uh, it was a very confusing moment of my life. I didn't know what was next. I was also back in Spain where the market was very unclear for me. I didn't understand. I hadn't been bred there. Um, well, that's a privilege. <laughs> I was. I, I wouldn't say that <laughs> helps you very much with the, your own self-esteem, but we'll talk about that later too. <laughs> and then I, I, out of not really knowing where my academic career was going, I changed paths completely. And that's something that maybe not many people know. My postgraduate students all know because this has come up in the conversations. I started studying pharmacy. Wow, after having a PhD in linguistics. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. <laughs> yes, I said, okay, if I'm not going to become an academic in linguistics, I just want to do something completely different uh, so that I don't feel the frustration that I'm very close to my thing, but I'm not in my thing. Mm-hmm. And chemistry is something that I've always, I had always liked very much as well. I mean, actually, linguistics and chemistry are not that different because we deal with very, with very little stuff and we study the combination of them. Yep. Um, I get it. They say law and maths are very related. I I, mm. I don't think I was very good at maths. Now I hope that doesn't <laughs> doesn't say much about how good I am at law. By the way, so you went into chemistry, interesting. Uh, yeah, pharmacy. pharmacy, pharmacy. But I didn't last a lot. Uh, no, because I was always wondering. And then what happened was that I said, okay, now that I'm not in the field, I don't feel this complex. Um, and then I consent my, you know, I had have prepared a book. So let's see what happens with it. And then it got published. And I mm-hmm. said, well, actually, let's let's see. And I said, okay, I'm going to try a, a few job ads and see how far I get, uh, I, I get with these. And if not, I can always carry on with pharmacy. Um, and then um, among the things I got, I got, I got a postdoc to come to an ESRC project on language acquisition. Yeah. And that's how I arrived in the, in UK. the UK. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was uh, it was on language acquisition, which I hadn't done a lot be- before because I I was a pure syntactician, but it was a project on the um, syntactic development of of uh, speakers of Spanish as a second language, and I said, okay, I will 
I will learn acquisition, but I can do the syntax. Mm -hmm. So of that, so that's how I ended up in in the UK. To where I arrived with my two first kids, very oh. very little. Yeah. yeah, and this is something that um, we also discuss um, a lot in the in the professorial podcast, and it's something that you have. Uh, it really struck me as, uh, when I opened your CV, and I say in the same line of your CV, you have your maternity leaves. So it's straight. It, it's it's the first time I see this. I've normally seen. Uh, and now women are starting to put this in the CVs, which they didn't before. See, at the la, at the end, a kind of like a little disclaimer, a little, a little apology. Please forgive me for having uh, um, taken this Future time. Future taxpayers. Yes. Future taxpayers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> for you guys. For you. <laughs> but um, but I so that you you chose to have it right next to your name, yeah. and uh, and yeah, tell us tell us a little bit more about this decision or this. Uh, you know what it means for you to actually, you know, have have these these periods there as a proud thing. I hope. Mm, well, I don't know. Well, as a proud. I mean, I was. I think the first time I put it was the first time I, I must have done something ref related or some, some time when I applied for promotion the first time and I said, okay, these have been my career breaks, mm-hmm. right? So this is my output. But please bear in mind that I had four, yeah. four maternity leaves. Um, yeah. And yeah, um, so I had 4,004, had my first child, 4,005, very close together. Um, and, and then I had my other two, 2013, 2015. Uh, 2013 is when I had my stillborn child. Mm-hmm. And that. Um, I think that that has had an impact on the way I face well life in general and my career as well. Um, so when I arrived here in England, I came on my own with my first two, with mm-hmm. uh, Nacho and Javi. And that was a big pers- personal decision because I was coming for a postdoc. It was a temporary job, so I couldn't just dismantle everything at there. home. Um, because who knew? I mean, who can trust a linguist yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to sustain a family? <laughs> and then, and a researcher. Yes. I don't think it has to do with being a linguist. It's with being a researcher, yeah, being a researcher and wanting to be an, a researcher. And, you know, it's, it's very, is is not solid what you get at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so that was the main the main reason. But I've been talking about people who have supported me. I mean, my family have always been there, and my my husband, yes, uh, has always been there. And I said, okay, I'm going to this place called Southampton <laughs> with your <laughs> two t- babies. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very so, brave <laughs> with my two kids. Uh, to study a lot because, I, as I said before, I had to study all the acquisition stuff. So I was staying very late at night as a mm-hmm. postdoc uh, after put, putting them in bed. Um, and then there in Southampton, Rose Mitchell was my boss and she was very supportive of the situation. And Laura Dominguez, who became a very good friend and we collaborate a lot since then. Um, although they told me... <laughs> 
a long time afterwards, they said, ah, we, we thought that you were going to leave <laughs> very quickly. Why? Because, of <laughs> because how I was on my own. Because was. I was completely on my own yeah. uh, with the two kids, uh, you know, doing a lot in a, in a, in a project. But no, it, it, was all, it was all fine. Uh, at the end, with a lot of support, of course, right? I yeah. mean, my, my, my mother has always been a very good example of yeah. do not give up. Mm-hmm. Just push through the pain a little bit, <laughs> and you'll see afterwards. So don't give up and don't come the other way and try and try out. I mean, yeah. you have the the no and the, the the not having something. You already have it, and I decided to leave Spain because I I didn't like what I had, and and I said you know I don't like complaining. Mm-hmm. I like doing something Take when action. I don't like yeah. it. If things and are not working. Yeah. Then I said, okay. Yeah. So I took what my two, I to two babies, uh, yeah. my two babies, because they were two and a half and sixteen months when mm-hmm. I came with them to the wow. UK. Yeah. And this 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 feeling of it's not bad to feel that you have nothing. So I it's a, it's a feeling that I have experienced in I think in two occasions of my life. That was one. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I almost have nothing, and I, I, I let's let's find a way, right? I, mm-hmm. I need to find a way. Um, that has been one occasion, and then the other occasion was when I had my my son Pablo, the stillborn mm-hmm. uh, son. When was it was a moment when I had nothing? I mean, I experienced a complete failure and complete emptiness, and mm-hmm. and then. Working through that pain, I again experienced, and you know, uh, there's I've I felt I had lost everything, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then I started trying a little bit more after I recovered from everything, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. I became a little bit more daring and conscientious about things in life, and I think that that was when my more activist side. In my mm-hmm. career, sparked. So you can pin pin a change in that moment that actually, yeah, um, you know, affected your personality, but also the way you you look at work. Yeah, because I I felt I the way I felt was as someone who has who had lost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, even though yeah. you haven't lost everything, but your yeah. feeling is yes. that you have lost everything because yeah. you have married your child, yeah. and then. Is this feeling, this liberty that yeah. you can also find when you say, well, I have nothing to lose yeah. because I've lost everything. Yeah. So I have nothing to lose. Yeah. And then why not start yeah. trying out uh, other things? And and yeah. and wow. I developed a very strong, a much stronger sense about my discipline, the mm-hmm. zeal for my discipline, for linguistics, mm-hmm. that this feeling that it was not on the map enough. In how important it is, and we—I don't know how come, I don't know why—we are not more on top of every table, mm-hmm. and and I thought, well, I may be nobody, but uh, you know, yeah. it's not uh, something that I—I'll do on my own, but yeah. I need—I yeah. need to do something. I felt very strongly about it, and I felt um, I developed a very a stronger sense of self. Lessness. I mean, yeah, very interesting. It was like yeah. it's not. It's not for me. It's for this discipline. I mean, yeah. we have to be there. Yeah, We're, and I have to. We reach have the key to many things. No, We're, uh, being an advocate for how important your discipline is 
rather than what others, you know, I mean, reflecting on what other things thinks about think it, driving from it. your from yes. from inside, no? from inside, and then thinking. I mean, very very being very conscious that it's not, it's not only. It's not a task that a person can do. So uh, reaching out to very good colleagues as the colleagues who have been in, you know, we are part of this project. Um, Nias, who has, thanks to to which I've become very close to to others who have been key in, in all this process. Um, and now you're doing this from your own center that you founded at the University of Greenwich, no? The Center for Research and Enterprise in Linguistics. Yeah, in language, in language, in language. Oh, sorry, that in was language. a big thing. Oh, it's oh, not linguistics, language. That's the insights of the disciplines, <laughs> <laughs> whether you can call something linguistics uh, or language. Okay, so I might have touched yeah. a sensitive fiber there. No. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so what? What is what is your role as the director of of, of a center with a on, on a discipline that interesting? But it's a it's a center you've called it research and enterprise. So uh, enterprise mm. for you know those uh, maybe that be out of academia uh, or out of the UK academia enterprises encompasses whatever brings money that it doesn't come from a from a, the, a government funded uh, yeah. um, institution. Uh, uh, a council, but uh, yeah, it's very much to do with impact, with engaging with the, all the stakeholders, etc. No, so what is your role as the director of this center? Yeah. And how do you see yourself both as a scientist and an advocate for your discipline, and maybe as well, you know, someone that has to drive the the discipline from where you are and drive the people that are part of it? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so. Um... Yeah, when um, when I had the idea, and then I, I I was supported, and I've said this very often that Zoe Petit said yes, and you know she supported the idea, and then uh, higher up at the at the at the faculty, Marco Thomas as well supported it, and Chris Bailey. I remember very well those those first talks and chats, and what I had one thing clear, which was that. Um, Linguistics is, is fundamental to the analysis of language, but is not the only angle that we need to provide an um, an encompassing and an overarching uh, overarching answer to issues where language is at the root. So that is why I said language, mm-hmm. language, because I wanted to be about language so that I could yeah. bring together. Um, colleagues from other schools, other departments, other centers that started existing a little bit afterwards uh, to work together. We've been working a bit, I mean, it's lower than I would have liked because uh, it was founded in 2019. Yes, (laughs) good timing. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Yes, but uh, we've been doing things. I mean, there's still a lot more to do, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's also about finding the... um, the, the key stakeholders, I mean, who are the researchers on it, because this is the main thing. I mean, to do interdisciplinary work, you need to have very good researchers on their own specific thing uh, so that you can bring them together. Um, and it's been great to be able to be working with many colleagues already, but I think we need more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more um, and um, we've been very active in in events putting our word out 
um in the visibility of the uh, yeah. having having a bit of a, a an outside image is interesting how academia we we have to have a corporate image to, at some point you know yeah, and these days you even have to have your instagram page and i always think how am i going to instagram the law yeah <laughs> you know? yeah or do i yeah. you know i can't tell everybody every time i read a book because that's the most exciting no. that i do in my everyday life yeah. well actually is re- replying to emails but yeah. <laughs> when i manage to read a book <laughs> that is exciting i would put that on instagram being yeah. able to finally read a book yeah yeah but yeah. but do you see your role or or is this something that you will develop or, or what what is your own understanding or now you're a senior academic you are a, a very experienced person you know the discipline very well but you 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 know the paths and each each of our experience is different obviously and it's not replicable and and other women would have other experiences and um but do you see any role in in mentoring women as well not just as as in the, the specific of the discipline but uh, how to be a woman in academia do you do you think you have a role in that or that's something that mm. each of us should kind of discover a little bit because our experiences can be so different well um i mean i i i i i don't feel i've i mean this is not a task i've been allocated mm-hmm. <laughs> but it turns out that if i look back in in krell for example um the leads of activities many of the leads of activities have been women mm-hmm. and i think that um as an academic as an academic i mean in academia what i what i have reflected more uh, on more more often i realize um is about trying to support um researchers mm-hmm. generally gen- generally without any yes so if a researcher it has a, a good idea and they want to develop it i think it's my duty to make room for that researcher to to mm-hmm. be able to exploit it and to to take it uh, to mm-hmm. undertake it and if um and with women I think that we we have I mean it's it's part of the same thing right so if you are mm-hmm. a women researcher then uh, of course and it's is um I would love to see more women researchers uh more of those and more women researchers in in certain positions in mm-hmm. in academia and is it our role as senior women now it it feels weird to call ourselves senior women yeah, well. but <laughs> senior <laughs> senior colleagues um to make that room as our role because you know we all of us um, have found ourselves very frustrated in some committees or this or that mm. just uh, or just not being appointed to a specific committee or not being mm. you know ended up uh, always in the taking notes in yeah. the meeting or something like that but um and it's exhausting to to be constantly fighting for something and you know to always be the the one complaining about something um but 
But to what extent do we have a responsibility or basically, you know, we also have a responsibility to ourselves to, mm-hmm. you know, not exhaust ourselves mm-hmm. constantly or being always mm-hmm. like the annoying woman that no one wants to have in their committee because she mm-hmm. wants to talk out all the yeah. time. Yeah. Like that. yeah, I think yeah, I think we have because we may have we may have had a previous experience. I think uh, our responsibility is when we identify such a situation when, for example, uh, a a woman is 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 the void of her voice at some at, in in some occasion, right? So maybe the woman is there, right? So they have ticked the box, but is the is the voice allowed to echo in the room, or all of a sudden uh, a side chair appears, someone who was is 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 a male and and nobody knew what role that person had, but he's there, hey, and he's chairing the thing. Um, <laughs> and he might not remember your name for like three years. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a small anecdote. <laughs> I think, no, but it's, yeah. it's the responsibility of making things yeah. uh, noted, yeah. right? And and say, well, and, and making and contributing to work for a system where women are not afraid of saying things. Yes, I think. Because um, we are still afraid. I mean, I understand uh, anyone who has experienced any, as little as it can be, experience of feeling harassed or or bullied or sidelined in a in a in a an uncool way, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, we know that it's not easy to say it, and it's not easy because you yeah. are not sure whether. The system may back you up, whether the situation is going to end well for you. Um, And I think that the goal is to make make, uh, the system safe enough. So that no, this is safe for everybody, right? It's safe for I, that for is exactly. I, I totally agree because, in several occasions that I've spoken up and in in different institutions and all mm-hmm. all through my career, I've had people come back with the telling me, "Oh, you are so brave." But you are so brave implies you're putting yourself in danger, danger. and you chose to put yourself mm. in danger for whatever reason, for because you thought that was intolerable, because you wanted to make a stand for other people or something. But getting the feedback of you are so brave is actually very scary because it think people may think it's flattering because it's like they're telling you mm. you you are you know wanted of a kind because someone else wouldn't have dared, but someone else wouldn't have dared implies. Um, there could be a consequence for what you've done and it doesn't necessarily imply this is what we should all have done and maybe someone didn't have the opportunity or someone in that moment didn't have the capacity to react because this happens mm. a lot, you know. You, mm. you are in situations that maybe later you think, uh. why didn't I? that was offensive, wasn't it? You didn't mm. assess it at the time or you didn't, you froze, you didn't have a capacity to react. So the I think uh, an important point would be as well for us to start changing those feedbacks of uh of uh, one one person being brave, we're yeah, not we're, yeah. we're not brave. We, we're just yeah. you know stating the obvious, and yeah. it should become mm. uh, the person who states the obvious. It should just become you know a regular person sitting in a meeting. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. And if you uh, if you speak yourself out, yeah. if it's true that if you are a woman, you are seen as a difficult person. Yeah. And yeah, a bit shouty and a bit, you yeah. know, oh, yeah. and rolling of the eyes, and but yeah, um, yeah. well, uh, yeah, well, well, here we are, you know, we'll continue mm. to do this, and I, 
It's very encouraging to see um, uh, changes in the visibility of women and different uh, different categories of women. I, I've talked before in this podcast of how when I was um, growing up as an academic, there were basically two models of women. The, the woman that was uh, literally just always angry and would just like, you know, put, put her foot down and just put uh, 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 mash the table. And mm. uh, this because it was the only way for her to get heard or the woman would just put her head down and just keep on doing and achieve things out of super hard work and nobody can doubt that you are qualified for that because you are 200% qualified. Mm. So it's very difficult to be a different kind of model. We haven't really had too many models which are not either, uh, uh, you know, someone who works really, really hard and and, uh, and highly has a voice or someone who just shouts more than anyone else. Yes. Yeah. So how... Yeah. Uh, also, I think we are of the generation that we're that we're trying to find as well what kind of academic and what kind of woman do we want to be to in the be. professional sphere? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Certainly, um, what kind of academic uh, academic do I want to be? Yeah. How do you want to find your voice, right? So yeah. how do yeah. you want to make progress? How do you want to influence? How do you want to... To make a difference, right? Once mm -hmm. you reach certain maturity in your career, you think, yeah, I want to 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 say something, to do something about no. this, right? So not mm -hmm. just being here who comes, teaches, mm -hmm. publishes a couple a few papers and then yeah. goes, but to have the influence. And that is that is um you know, is 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 a is a person is a journey. It's a, it's a journey, but it, it takes reflection. And I yeah. think that the one has to be true to to oneself. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. So I, when I did all this reflection, I thought, well, the only way I see myself going forward is to reinforcing my role as a researcher, mm -hmm. and I think that um, to show that women uh, should, you know, we 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 can have researcher roles and mm -hmm. seen as researchers. Because I remember when I did the Aurora program mm -hmm. that. Uh, you may have heard of. I yes, don't know if you, I'm a mentor in the uh, Aurora program. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I did, I remember people who came to give us talks. We had many, many successful women, but not no researchers. And that was this a question a that yeah. many people raised. They said, so what, what? I mean, what kind of academic, you, what kind of academics um do we find nowadays who are uh, leaders but are researchers? Yeah. Well, being, yeah. yeah, as researchers, you know, you have to spend a lot of time hiding your head in the book. So yeah. it's difficult to, yeah. to manage that, to have your own personal life, your yeah. family, and be very good in your field and then also be present in yeah. the, in the uh, fora where... These kinds of things have been, you know, women have been I'm empowered happening. and all that. Yeah. You, you really need to be finishing that article, otherwise you're never going to get promoted. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that is uh, an important point mm. because yeah. that doesn't seem to be so much of a problem for men. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you you are right and yeah. we've, we've seen that in which you know, women have to prove that they can do everything and on top of that be at the top of their field. Mm. Just some some uh, second uh, ranking journals will not do. Mm -hmm. And this has happened. I've seen this, uh, uh, that in many occasions, 
men are hired or promoted in promise of what they can do and expectations that they can, in potential, they can be all this. And women are hired in, in results, in, results. in, in yeah. outcomes. So they, you know, if you already have a hundred percent of that, you can now be a professor. If you are, have a lot of, as a woman, as you have a lot of potential as a man, you you can be a professor and then fulfill that potential. Mm. So, hmm. and so in the in this, uh, it, um, well, that shouldn't happen. So it shouldn't, shouldn't happen, happen, but not, it keeps on not happening. Not for women either. I mean, that yeah. shouldn't happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that you know should be for everybody the same, and it should be on results. Yeah. You know, it's so like now, show me your yeah. external indicators. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of like, it should be for everybody the same. Let's talk about mm. gender pay gap. Let's talk about the fact that uh, we, especially our, ourselves, are, uh, the well, there's very few female professor, uh, women professor in uh, at least when my school, I'm the only one, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I earn significantly less than any of the uh, male professors in my school, and that, some of them, which are fantastic colleagues, have. You know, indicated this, and and it's well known, um, and uh, you know this infuriates me, and I, but it makes me an angry person, and I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want to waste, quote unquote, waste my time mm-hmm. in this battle because it's precisely I have to write that article because that article is what's going to get me to the next um, step in my career. Um, and I'm just kind of stepping, as- leaving aside the question of money, but. You know, every time I think back at it, I just my my uh, blood boils. Mm-hmm. So, what what is your view in the gen, uh, regarding the gender pay gap? And do you even know whether yeah. you are totally unpaid no. compared to your colleagues? No, I have no idea. I have no clue. No. In the in the US, uh, I think that if you Google the salaries of professors, they are there. Yeah, and they're very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course they are very good. Um, but I have no clue. How can I know? Yeah. I'm always said what I'm going to earn. I mean, yeah. Well, you can ask. We should ask. We should write yeah. to our um, a senior managers and say, I am concerned regarding the gender pay gap. Is there any mm. figures? Data. Yeah. Data. Can we yeah. see the data? And this is as scientists as we are. Mm-hmm. We go around, we, we don't dare saying things without seeing the data. Why are we not demanding the data, the transparency? And it's not just about reporting, oh, there's a 2% gender pay gap, uh, you know, amalgamated here and there. It's like, no, 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 tell me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are four professors of law. One of them has just retired in, in law. We're four professors of law. Only one is a woman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she's the one that earns less. Tell me why and how much. And mm-hmm. then we will discuss and we'll discuss what is to do with merits, what is to do with, there's always an objective reason. There's yeah, always the reason yeah. that someone has more experience or have been sitting in this and that committee that, you know, was a bit more senior. Yes, there's mm-hmm. always an objective reason. But if I don't know which ones they are, I can't dismantle them mm-hmm. or I can't challenge them or I can't accept them. It could be that it's perfectly reasonable that these four wonderful men, which are really, really good colleagues, earn more than me. But I don't know what they earn and why. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely encourage you and every single female (laughs) academic that's listening to ask. 
Just ask, get the data. As an academic, get the data. Do your own graph and put a couple of footnotes on it. <laughs> Wonderful, Maria. Well, Thank and, you. And, you know, to, to uh, finish our uh, fantastic chat, I want to ask you a little bit more about, yeah, what are your plans? Well, where's the research going to take you? <sighs> and uh, okay. what's, the, what's the new face in this activist research mm -hmm, that you mm -hmm, you have mm -hmm. yourself yeah uh, which is parallel <laughs> is parallel to to the inner me if you want mm -hmm. which is my my typical research that is also yeah. on my desk uh -huh. I and mean, that's what i actually finished yesterday um what's next i mean what's next would be to see the manifesto that we have prepared uh, for this uh, act of raising awareness about language needs mm -hmm. uh, launched. It's not mm -hmm. going to happen immediately, but hopefully it will happen soon. Yeah, yeah because it's, in, it's, it's construed to be internationally minded because it's amazing to see. In this, we did a, a workshop in Leiden where we gathered um, professionals of all sorts. I mean, we had linguists, we had a speech and language therapists, we had educationists, we had pediatricians. Um, we had health visitors, we had a health economist, um, we, we had Rosanna Pachella actually presenting from Greenwich, and we had also lawyers, mm -hmm. right? Uh, because this affects, of course, human rights as we are presenting it in, in the way that people are defending themselves uh, without having been screened for language. Uh, so, just, so we gathered all these people um, for 40 hours in Leiden and then we drafted, we got input from everybody to write a manifesto. So that would be great if we, you know, if everything, it's been slow because it's a um, variety of, in addition to all these uh, intersectoral um uh, basis of the manifesto. We are also covering many different populations. So we are covering the the, the language input. We are covering uh, deaf. Uh, mm. We are uh, we cover multilinguals who have different very different needs, yeah. uh, which need to be catered for. And we are covering also learning disabilities or so Down syndrome and Williams syndrome. That is something that. Uh, my colleague Alex Perovich from UCL is the expert on and for the deaf we have uh, uh, Giuseppe Kerr um, uh, great people uh, to work with and so that is what is on the agenda for the activism and um, and also to carry on working for the committees I work on for that are part of the Linguistics Association of Great Britain and the British uh, Association of Applied Linguistics, this CLIC, which is Linguistics in Education. We are working to see how we can embed more linguistics in the GCSE curriculum at the moment. It's a very long battle. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> anyway, we are working there. But then my, my, you know, this is very, this takes a lot of energy. Um, it's, um, although I, I, as I said, I developed a very strong drive to engage with these courses, but it's what gives me some peace in my work is my papers on aspect, um, which uh -huh. I'm working on at the moment as well. I'm working uh, another one about the, 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 um, the semantics of uh, adverbials that are headed by four. So when you say for two minutes, 
when can you put it and what it means exactly. Oh, uh, wow. So yeah, so that is what gives me the, yeah. the comfort and the peace to go yeah. back to my super small syntax world. <laughs> yeah, so interesting. My my sister, she's a professor of um, ecological economics at the University of Leeds. Is also in this podcast. And whenever whenever we're very stressed, you always goes like, papers, papers, papers. Yeah. So kind of like. <laughs> You know, just don't forget the focus. Papers, yes. papers, papers. Yes, yes. It's like, give me a problem that I can just <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> try to solve on my own because yeah. the others are very big problems. Yes. I understand yeah. that they are the big problems, but we cannot tackle the big problems without doing the very disciplined, niched research because it is from this knowledge that we can make a difference. It's not the only the What we see uh, at the end and things like the manifesto, hopefully at the end, is... Is, is what can happen after a lot of years of very detailed research of, um, yeah. for example, yeah. having been studying pronouns with Down syndrome mm-hmm. population. Where, you know, it is from that, ver- is, is what happens in science, right? So you have to mm-hmm. go to the lab and get something very, very small and chop it and analyze it in depth. And it is there where you can start understanding how the big problem can be solved, but you need to have a very clear image of the very small thing. Yeah, um, that I I yeah. totally agree, and I think you know we have to watch out in academia that we're trying to you know the somehow um, research and knowledge exchange are becoming disassociated to some point. Uh, and, you know, you can't do knowledge exchange without actually having the knowledge. And the knowledge requires many hours, many yes. hours in your pajamas, in yeah. day to night uh, and uh, and just re- just thinking. And you can't think about something if you are constantly engaged into putting it on a website, into writing a policy brief, into talking to stakeholders. There has to be time to think and to, to create think. the knowledge. Yeah, yeah. And that's what universities are for. Yeah. This is the only the only space where where that can happen yeah. is the very in-depth knowledge and analysis. Analysis. Analysis yeah. of things in depth and understanding in depth. This is the environment that yeah. has existed for centuries for yeah. it. Uh, yeah. We have to defend yeah. that part of, yeah. of what it is to be to be a university. Mm-hmm. And uh, so before I, I go, I just wanted to, uh, if you wanted to say the the what you told me when we first met about your um, daughter, about uh, what, <laughs> today, yes, <laughs> what your daughter said, because I think it's uh, it's really really sweet and validating, isn't it? <laughs> it's the first time this happens in my family. I mean, my family. N- doesn't know what I do, couldn't explain really, but this is across the sector of linguists. <laughs> okay, so what is that she does? I, I don't really know. So today she said in the morning, we were getting ready for school and she said, hi, mom, do you know what? I don't really like history class. And I went, oh, she's six, huh? She's six. And I was like, okay, what can she be studying history? So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and she said, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to do there. I listen and listen, but that's okay. But you know what I really like? I really like grammar 
And I was so surprised. <laughs> we're like, oh my goodness, do you know what that is? <laughs> it's true that in here in the UK, they do yeah. grammar in primary yeah. school. Then, yeah. unfortunately, they forget about it in secondary school. Yeah. That is why, by the way, everybody, we don't have more students doing linguistics because that doesn't have a place <laughs> in the <laughs> secondary school curriculum. So it disappeared it. many years ago. So that's why we are fighting at, mm-hmm. at country really level, back. national level. But it has to be a linguistics that get very excited about uh, her child. Saying she loves I grammar. Mean, it was like, what and grammar? <laughs> so I recorded you, it. I said, can you say that again? Because just in case. Wonderful. Future linguist here as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, Thanks. I think, uh, yeah, we'll dedicate this episode to her. <laughs> but also, yes. I think uh, we can take the opportunity to dedicate this uh, podcast um, episode to someone that is very dear to both of us because he has really uh, been very important in our career, which mm-hmm. is uh, Professor Linda, Linda. Bird. Who yeah. was your mentor and in Aurora? Uh, yeah, in Aurora was my coach uh, for my promotion. Yeah, and it's someone that we both consider to have right been really way. important in our career. So yes. get focus. Yes, get <laughs> focus. When when the first day we threw Aurora when she said, "When are you thinking about applying for promotion?" I said, "Oh my goodness, I think that with the busyness of life, I I forgot." Yeah, I just uh, yeah no so. Focus, focus, and go for yeah. it. And uh, uh, and to me, when she was reading on my things, when I said I contributed to the organization, she said, "What is this contributed? You led this." I was like, "You're uh. right. I did lead it." And yes. now, when I give uh, yeah. you know mentor other other uh, friend uh, colleagues mm-hmm. uh, earlier career colleagues, and I read their uh, CVs, I always say. What is this? Contribute? Yes. No, you led yes. this. Yes. I yes. say, yes. I'm going to yes. tell you what Linda would say here. <laughs> yes, so, absolutely. Uh, from here, a big thank you. And a big to um, cheers yeah. to, to Linda. Mm-hmm. And uh, with this, uh, I have to say thank you so much, Maria. It's thank you. absolute pleasure <laughs> talking to you. And um, I... Uh, look forward to many years working close yeah. together. Me too. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank, thank you, you Olga. <laughs> Thanks. And thank you everyone for listening. This is the Professoriate and I'm Olga Martin Ortega um, at the University of Greenwich. Uh, we will be back soon with more podcast episodes now that we have the studio again and now that um, post-COVID life hasn't become mm-hmm. easier, but at least we've normalized that there's this, um, that we're just running everywhere, but now this time is running from our bedroom to our <laughs> desk yes, <yeah. laughs> in, and getting dressed less often as we did before. But uh, it's an absolute uh, pleasure to talk to these amazing women. Please um, subscribe, like us, recommend us um, to your uh, colleagues and friends. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Thank you very much. Thank you.